we have lots of companies who've reached out saying, look, it's an interesting model. But when you probe a bit, the leadership team's really looking for an exit and they're looking to get a check and to ride off in the sunset. This isn't our model. Our ideal situation is a successful company with a management team that comes to us and says, look, we have a great company. We've taken it as far as we think we can take it. We want to take it to the next level, but we need you know, additional infrastructure to do that. That's the ideal situation because then we can partner with that company, take majority control, and then you're, at the heart of your question is what do we do? Well, typically we'll consolidate all the, you know, I'll call it back office functions, but it could be elements of the front office as well, including maybe let's say business development. But if you look at all the things that scale with size, so capital scales, back office administration like finance, legal, accounting, but even technical, kind of base technical capability like uh, testing, space qualification, base engineering. Think about your client relationship management, your relationship with the DOD, with Space Force, with NASA, uh, having a DC presence. All of that scales with size. So if you can empower that team, continue to innovate, continue to disrupt in, in, in your unique way, but we're going to scale all these things in the back office so that you're going to have the benefit of that larger scale. I think it's the best of both worlds. Welcome back to the Cold Star Project. I'm Jason Kanigan, your host, founder of this thing, Cold Star Technologies, a data science and process improvement firm. And I have Dylan Taylor of uh, Voyager Space Holdings, multinational company that takes majority control of space companies here. Thanks for being here, Dylan. Thank you, Jason. My pleasure. All right. I'm going to read through a list of things here because... You have many extracurricular activities, and uh, I, I know you want them all covered, and I want to cover them for you. So the deal with Voyager is a really exciting idea, and we're going to cover that in detail. But you've also been an early-stage investor in over 50 space companies. So um, we're going to pull some of that experience out of your brain and get it out into words here so that we can all learn from it. Uh, you have an MBA from the University of Chicago, and now here comes the list. Member of the World Economic Forum, uh, the Henry Crown Fellow of the Aspen Institute, a co-founding patron of the Commercial Space Flight Federation, which I want to find out more about, founder of an organization called Space for Humanity, mm -hmm. and also a space philosophy site called 2211.world. Um, which may be 2211.world. I'll let you uh, cover <laughs> exactly how you like that pronounced. So many, many, uh, you know, tendrils going out into the world of, uh, of space here. So mm -hmm. let's begin with Voyager. Um, tell us the story about, I, I want to find out why you established Voyager because you had a successful VC past with another organization and then very recently decided to go out on your own here. Yeah. Well, I actually, most of my background was not in space. I actually started in electronics and then later real estate and then real estate services. And I've actually primarily ran large public companies. That's really my background. And so I'm sort of an accidental investor in a way, Jason, to be honest. Um, I've been passionate about space for my entire life, uh, but it was really maybe 10 years ago that I started getting more and more uh, of a you know, foot in the water, so to speak, within the space industry. And at that time, I was just thinking to myself, how can I um, contribute? And I was thinking, what does the industry need and what does my background provide? And at that time, early stage capital really was a challenge. Um, so I thought, well, if I can contribute some early stage capital and maybe some business mentorship to some of the founders, 
perhaps that can be a role for me in the industry. So that's sort of how it all started. Um, when I decided I wanted to make the move to space full time, I went through a similar process and I said, well, what does the industry need and, and what, what are my skill sets? And in my mind, we're much further along in the industry and we do have enough early stage capital. Um, you know, it, it could be a bit healthier, but I think it's, it, it's uh, well on its way to being solved. I use that word in quotes, but solved as, a, as an issue. But where I think we're stuck as an industry is really in achieving scale. I think we have a lot of successful small to medium sized companies, but really no success stories of, of companies that have uh, achieved scale. And then ultimately very few public company exits as well. So the idea with Voyager is uh, it's not a fund. A lot of people think it's a, a VC investor or a fund. It's not that, it's an operating company. And the whole idea is can you consolidate market share within the industry, uh, leveraging the best of sort of entrepreneurial or new space, uh, but also the scale of old traditional space, and then ultimately take that uh, platform public, uh, which we intend to do hopefully in um, late 2021 or early 2022. So that's, that's the idea behind it. Um, why majority control? Because we want the ability to uh, you know, invest in these platforms for the long term. A lot of VC investment is bounded by, uh, you know, fund life and investment duration and uh, IRR, which happy to talk more about, but it's really, you know, very sensitive to the time component. Um, so that's why majority control, but we definitely don't want to buy also, uh, the flip side is we don't want to buy 100% either because we want the entrepreneurs to be very vested with their future growth and also enjoy a lot of the value creation. Uh, that occurs over time. So that that's the model. And um, I think the entrepreneurs love the model because it's sort of the best of both worlds in a lot of cases. And investors seem to really like the model as well. So we're, I think we're off to a strong start and now we just need to continue to execute. Mm -hmm. So this is, yeah, this is very different from a VC firm. You don't have that deployment window where you're under pressure to get somebody's money out there working for them in a relatively short period of time. Uh, on the front end and on the back end, you're also not looking at it going, well, we have to exit within the next 10 or 12 years or else, uh, why are we doing this? So right. you can afford to take the longer view. Hmm. I am curious uh, what your perspective is on, on the growth of the space industry, because it, you look at it and it's like commercial space, despite you're saying it's healthy and I'm not going to zing you with anything here, but uh, yeah. there are not, from from VCs that I've talked to, they've told me, gee, if I had $100 million to dump into space industry, I wouldn't know where to put it. And having had a look mm -hmm. around, I kind of agree with them. We're in this situation, I think, uh, where the guys like Reid Hoffman, who, who uh, founded LinkedIn with some other mm -hmm. people in that, have written books about... Uh, you know, to scale a business fast these days, you need to be moving bits of, of information, not atoms. And space right now is clearly a, a, an atoms-based business, right? We've built just like the rocket model behind you, we're moving physical things. So what's right. it going to take? Are we gonna have to have some data processing company to be the first big, big scale company in space? Perhaps, I respect Reed. Uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant mind, I, I run into him. Um, at the TED conference and, you know, he, he holds court because he, he's got great wisdom. So I, I do respect Reed. Uh, I would disagree with him a bit. Uh, I don't think scale is all about ones and zeros. 
I think scale is about um, value chain capture. And I think where the space industry has fallen down is very few people understand, um, very few people have come from outside the industry. Mm-hmm. So very few people have, I think, industry dynamic perspective. And one of the things space, I think, struggle, struggles with is the value chain is primarily dictated by the primes. And so everyone within that ecosystem is sort of a, you know, a supplier, for lack of a better word, to, to the primes. And then ultimately the, the main client, which is typically um, uh, governments. Um, of course, the client base is changing a bit because we have the commercialization of space, which we all know. But this value chain capture is something that I, I just don't think people understand. I mean, it's why I think you see SpaceX morphing into hardware uh, with Starlink and, and why you see, um, you know, other companies, uh, including uh, Blue Origin, you know, looking at uh, their Kuiper constellation. You need to capture kind of soup to nuts, the ability to get mass in orbit, uh, create um, some kind of product or service from that mass in orbit, and then ultimately, you know, get that product or service in the hands of people you know can can action that you know uh, that product or service or that data for some other use so i start with the end and what i know to be true is um and it sort of gets at the heart of your question if you look at facebook or google google uh, as two examples or even ibm for that matter they are you know in in a couple of cases um almost trillion dollar uh, market cap companies, and all they've really done is uh, organize uh, terrestrial data sets. And by the way, those data sets aren't even predictive. You know, they'll tell you what's happened. The Google search will tell you what, what's happened and will tell you what will happen. Whereas I think once we fully build out, uh, let's say, an Earth observation data set, which is hyperspectral, uh, you know, all bands of uh, uh, telemetry, um, always on, you know, ubiquitous, always on and covering the entire earth, our ability to create products and services around that, uh, that end state, and to have that database be predictive, and to have every terrestrial industry impacted by that space-based capability, I think is tremendous. So if that's the end state, if that's where we're going to end up, what is that data set worth? Well, I don't know, but it's more than a trillion. It's more than the Google data set for sure. Uh, so I think it's a multi-trillion dollar opportunity just on the ones and zeros part. And that doesn't even include, you know, some of the more exotic uh, things that we're doing in the industry, like going back to the moon to stay, Mars, space-based energy, space-based manufacturing. So I think the opportunities are huge. I think the time horizons are a bit long for a tr- traditional VC. So I am sympathetic to VCs who say they don't see you know, opportunities. And I, I think that's probably true within their fun life. Um, but again, I think industries typically consolidate, um, you know, with private equity or some other, uh, uh, you know, instrument. But again, private equity is not well suited to space either, because again, they're, they're bound by fun, fun life. So I think ultimately, we need more scale, we need more consolidation, but I think it's going to be an operating company model Voyager and other models that will be created that will capture that value chain. Awesome. And you're staking your life on it. So <laughs> it shows you really believe. I wouldn't, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think, um, you know, and again, so why, why are we doing this, Jason? I think this is an important point. I do think it'll be financially successful and, and certainly I wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, allow people to invest in the company if I didn't think so, but that's not ultimately the, the goal. The goal is to help unlock, 
uh, the industry and help the industry uh, achieve its full potential. And to me, that's what energizes me is to, you know, settle, uh, and I know that word can be controversial, but really settle the high frontier and to get humans out there. Because I think space is the next big thing for humanity. Uh, I think it has all kinds of technical benefits and social benefits. Uh, so that's, that's what energizes me. I, I know it will be financially successful, but hopefully more importantly, it'll help open up uh, space for um, commerce. Hmm. Very good. Well, I happen to agree. <laughs> I really want to see uh, the end users of space move away from just government or DOD or something and, and to consumer level um, where it can access more, more users, get better user adoption. So let's talk about Voyager a bit. So you, you take majority control of this uh, firm that you're investing in. What do you do then? Do you put your own CEO in charge? Do you, do you clean house? Do you add? Do you sit back and give advice here and there like a Oracle on the Hill? How does this yeah. work? Well, it, hopefully it's light touch. We, we definitely don't want to ch uh, change out the CEO because part of what we're betting on and investing in is, is the management team. So for example, we have lots of companies have reached out saying, look, it's an interesting model, but when you probe a bit, the leadership team's really looking for an exit and they're looking to get a check and to ride off in the sunset. This isn't our model. Our ideal situation is a successful company with a management team that comes to us and says, look, we have a great company. We've taken it as far as uh, we think we can take it. We want to take it to the next level, but we need you know, additional uh, infrastructure to do that. So um, that's the ideal situation because then we can partner with that company, take majority control, and then you're at the heart of your question is what do we do? Well, typically we'll consolidate all the, you know, I'll call it back office functions, but it could be elements of the front office as well, including maybe let's say business development as an example. But if you look at all the things that scale with size, so capital scales, as we know, back office administration, like finance, legal accounting, but even technical um, kind of base technical capability, like uh, testing, uh, space qualification, uh, base engineering. Uh, think about your client relationship management, your relationship with the DOD, with Space Force, with NASA, uh, having a DC presence. All of that scales with size, right? So if you can empower that team, you know, continue to innovate, continue to, uh, you know, disrupt in, in, in your unique way, but we're going to scale all these things in the back office so that you're going to have the benefit of that larger scale. Uh, I, I think it's the best of both worlds. And ideally, um, you're harnessing the best of entrepreneurial innovation. Uh, and hopefully, once we, we achieve, we meaning Voyager achieve scale, you're going to have all the scale and benefit of, you know, the larger companies in the industry as well. So that's the idea. And for those who don't know what we mean by scaling the back office, just imagine taking over four plumbing companies. Um, you can have the same back office bookkeepers and accountants, let's say, run, run all those accounts, those ledger accounts and that, because the accounts don't care what part is what. They just want to put things in the right cubby holes. And so um, you, can, you can use that, um, get people utilized at, at a better efficiency. So, Okay. Well, let's talk about the first acquisition for Voyager then. Take us through that story. Yeah, sure. Um, so Altius was the first acquisition. So when we think about what capabilities, so the way we think about Voyager is what capabilities do we want to uh, build out over time? And it gets back to what I said earlier about 
capturing more of the value chain. Mm -hmm. One of the areas that I'm very optimistic and bullish about is on-orbit servicing. And that's everything from the ability to service and extend life of satellites in orbit to space debris cleanup to even things like refueling. So as a category, I'm convinced that uh, that's going to be a, a large uh, growth area. Uh, and I think there'll be some regulatory pressure, certainly on things like space debris. So within that category, for my money, the very best company in that uh, uh, genre is is Altius, and it's led by John Goff. If you don't know John, uh, a savant, uh, literally in the industry. I think he went away to college uh, at fifteen, if memory serves. Um, just a brilliant uh, technologist, very passionate about space, very passionate about on-orbit servicing, uh, very passionate about robotics. Um, so I think they're a phenomenal company. They've had a lot of success. Uh, they've had uh, a product roadmap that I think is best in the industry for a long time. But like a lot of small companies, you know, struggling with innovating and building and selling new business while just actually running, you know, the back office of the business can be a bit frustrating. Uh, I've known John for a long time. So I uh, was a bit close to, you know, what they were doing and what they were up to. And when we launched Voyager, you know, this was something that John was made aware of. Uh, they had some other options at that time as well. Uh, people had reached out to them for, you know, other possible transactions. So that's how it all started. Um, and actually, we ended up officially launching Voyager, I think it was October 10th, and we closed on Altius January 1st. So this all happened pretty quickly. Um, we should announce our next acquisition, if not next week, the week after, and that should close July 1st. And then we've got uh, last count, I think nine in the pipeline at various stages of diligence. And, you know, realistically, Jason, I don't think we can do more than four or five deals a year. Mm -hmm. um, not because there aren't that many deals available, but just when you think about what our model is, which is, you know, integrating and transitioning these companies and making sure that it's a good, um, you know, that we're all adding value uh, to the relationship. It's very difficult to do you know, four or five deals a year and integrate those properly. So I think ultimately that's probably the maximum we'll be able to do. So I think we'll probably end 2020, my guess is with four transactions total, including Altius, um, you know, round numbers. It could be three, it could be five, but somewhere around there. All right. And, and yeah, John Goff, um, <laughs> just out of the blue last night, mm -hmm. uh, a fellow, he's a, postgraduate who is in Andy Aldrin's space entrepreneurship certificate program at uh, yeah. Florida Institute of Technology. It's an international space university thing too. Messaged me saying, Hey, you got to meet this guy. Maybe you should be on your show. So I was like, all mm -hmm. right, sure. And then I looked and I saw the Voyager on, uh, <laughs> on his, yeah. on his uh, LinkedIn profile. So I sent him a request to hopefully he'll respond. <laughs> I can so, probably help help with yeah. that too. You might I, be I, able to. <laughs> John, John's a great guy. Yeah. He's really, one, one of the best people in the industry. Mm -hmm. It's just funny that, that that came up last night though. So yeah, he's, he's having an effect. This is Jason Gannigan from Cold Star Tech and I'm excited to share with you a new offer from Cold Star that we are bringing out to help both space founders and venture capitalists who fund space companies. And it's on two levels. The lower level is a VC who is looking at possibly funding a space company, but they just don't get it. 
right? Now, a lot of tech founders want to come out and create some sort of technical capability, but they do not understand business. And so you'll look and you'll go, where's the customer here? Where's the business model? And they'll go, huh? But I want to make rockets or something, right? And, and it's really cool. Well, that, as we know from the dot-com era, is not a viable business model. And so you bring us in. We've got great technical expertise on the space side. Folks who have done this sort of assessment before, like our technical engineering advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, myself in the process engineering field, plenty of other people with brains to look at this problem so that you don't have to blow your brains out trying to figure out how to make this work. And on the company side, it's a benefit for them because we will show them the roadmap to how you're going to get funded, how, how you will want to fund them, what changes to make to get VCs excited about putting money in. And so that's good for you. Right? The second level is at a, a deeper and higher level at the same time. It is for venture capitalists who have uh, given a seed round to a company, a space company, and that has gone on for a little while, six months, a year, something like that. And it is time, as uh, COVID has made it, to double down or get out. Those are pretty much the choices, right? It's time to invest further in a thing we already know, which seems to be the direction VCs are going in right now. Uh, they don't seem to want to look at new things uh, or, or stop, just kill the project. And so the good news is, in that situation, there's a lot more going on. There's more meat for Cold Star experts to get in and, and analyze, right? You're going to have processes in place, whether they know it or not. We'll be able to flowchart those and, and maybe accurately document them for the first time so we can get some kind of value chain going in the organization. We'll be able to test whether the leadership is the right group of people or whether you're missing something, the strategic direction, the business model, all this stuff. So, if this sounds interesting to you, reach out to us. You can email me at jason at coldstartech.com or just connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. And uh, I am excited to talk to you. The, the kind of transformation that we're able to offer here is beyond anything you'll see out there. And as a VC, this will save you so much time and energy, right? Like if you're a VC and you've got 100 companies to look at, you've got three days a year <laughs> to, to look at each one maybe, right? That's not really good enough, is it? Wouldn't it be better to have uh, experienced, expert space, people who understand space, right? Look at this investment and tell you, here's a grade, right? Here are several grade areas. Is this thing ready to pour gasoline on the fire or is it just going to go up in smoke? This is Jason Kanig from Cold Star Tech. Let's get back to the interview. Has space investing changed over the last few years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's more uh, general interest in space. Uh, I think with retail investors, the, the, the interest is, is quite large. I think we see that with the Virgin Galactic stock you know, spiking and, and um, you know, there just aren't so many, uh, if any, frankly, pure play space public companies to invest in, you know, other than Virgin Galactic perhaps. But uh, so I think, I think retail interest and demand has increased. I think we've had more total VCs invest in space or look at investing in space. I think some of the early VCs that invested in space maybe are, uh, you know, taking a pause, uh, as you said earlier, just to see, you know, how the industry evolves and whether they're going to be able to get, you know, the returns that they expect within the timeframes they expect, given their fund life. Um, but I think this is, this is typical of any industry, right? You have stops and starts, you have good deals and bad deals. Um, 
you know, we've had a couple of high profile failures recently. Uh, I think that gives, you know, a handful of investors pause, especially the ones that are, you know, looking for a quick buck and maybe are less long-term in their thinking. Um, so I think it has turned over a bit. And then of course with COVID, you know, the whole capital markets are a bit seized up uh, due to what's happening in the economy right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what do you think about sector specific funds? Is that a good idea? Um, I, I, I believe it is. I have to admit, I've written a paper on it for the International yeah. Institute of Space Commerce. Yeah, when you say sector, you mean within space or just right. space, space as a space sector? Focused, yeah, space focused VC um, funds. Or oh, yeah, no, for funds. sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think unless you're, you know, Andreessen Horowitz or Sequoia, it's very, very difficult to play in multiple industries. Uh, a, you need the expertise. Uh, B, you need the credibility. You know, C, you need deal flow. Mm-hmm. Um, right? It's all about deal flow, typically, when you're in a VC business. Um, you know, because it's like anything else. If you're seeing all the great deals and you can kind of have the pick of the litter, your, your chances of being more successful than not are, are higher. So, yeah, I think... Um, I think for an industry like space, which is, um, uh, you know, not only technical, but I think collegial, mm-hmm. I think it's really, really important to have a sector focused approach. I, I agree with that. Okay. And, and do you think that that is limiting the amount of capital that can enter the industry or is, is all the capital that could be used being deployed right now? Um, it probably is limiting the industry a bit just because I don't think we have the, uh, the FOMO investing quite yet in space, which is, you know, most VC investing is, is fear of missing out investing. Let's be honest. So until we have some high profile public company exits or acquisitions in the industry where people are early stage investors are getting five, seven, 10 times their money. Um, we won't have the FOMO investing and without the FOMO investing, you know, we won't be as flush as other industries perhaps are, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Honestly, I just, maybe I'm, you know, just more of an optimist. I don't see our industry as capital constrained right now. I think the best companies and the best businesses are getting funded. Uh, COVID notwithstanding, I mean, that definitely has slowed things down mm-hmm. mainly because people can't travel and most people aren't going to write a check if, they can't, you know, meet you face to face and things like that. But I think in general, the capital markets within space are pretty healthy. Okay. The FOMO thing is interesting. I had an, uh, a VC tell me that there are uh, Silicon Valley funds that just watch for the second business to, uh, to show up from a successful entrepreneur. And that's all they yeah. fund in are, are those second attempts. And it almost doesn't even matter what it is. They're just jumping on board, which is kind of crazy. And I'm glad they are not doing that in the space industry because I want this industry to succeed, which means we need wins and and, uh, proof, you know, that um, stuff works out. So Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about philanthropy. Uh, For you, what is the reason why you are a philanthropist? Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. So my ambition for all of us for the industry is to get more humans living and working uh, in space, right? That's the goal. And so I, I am a capitalist in the sense that I think it needs to be economically sustainable. Um, you know, benefactor capital, like what Jeff and Elon are doing, is phenomenal. I wouldn't dismiss that. 
Um, and I think they're doing it in a way that hopefully will be sustainable. But in general, I think we need sustainable business models so that we don't, you know, have situations where we're setting ambitious goals within space, but we're not able to execute on them. So that's one side of it. That's what Voyager is all about. That's what the early stage investing has been about. But I think there's a huge social change element of us going out in the space that I think is really, really, really important. And so part of what I think we need to address is A, the democratization of space. You know, it has been a very elite, uh, you know, primarily Western, primarily male, primarily white um, uh, venture so far. And I, I'd like to see that change because part of my fear is as we start getting more and more people in the space, if the first thousand citizen astronauts that are minted are all, you know, multimillionaire celebrities, uh, I think we're going to lose, you know, 99% of humanity. And so that's what Space for Humanity is all about. It's all about getting uh, crews of diverse citizen astronauts uh, that can not only go, but then come back and sort of be great ambassadors uh, for space. So that, that's what that's all about. And then I have other projects that I've been working on, uh, including, you know, a couple of film projects, book projects. Uh, you mentioned earlier the 2211.world. 20, uh, that's all about shaping some of the dialogue around space. Um, I just think dialogue is really important. It's not that there's one answer or another, but I think we want, we want to help shape what space is going to become rather than have it happen to us. I think we all need to have some dialogue around what it, what it should look like. Cause I think we have a great opportunity to sort of reimagine what it means to be human. Um, so that's what that's all about. And then I also have a dinner series called the Ad Astra dinners. And what that's all about is space can be a bit of an echo chamber. You know, a lot of us think and feel the same way and there's a lot of camaraderie around it which I think is great, uh, but there are other people in other industries that don't know anything about what's happening in space right now. You know, they'll follow an odd uh, SpaceX launch or something like that, but they don't really know where we are. And so uh, these dinners are Jeffersonian style, and what we'll do is we'll invite, you know, other notable people from other industries, you know, celebrities um, from other industries, and the whole purpose of that is to have a dialogue about the future of humanity in space to influence the influencers so they can then go out back into their communities and their industries and talk about, wow, you know, we're right on the cusp of this thing happening and here are the set of issues and here's what I think about it. And here's, you know, so really getting dialogue outside the space community. I think that's really important. Um, so th those are some of the projects, but it's really in the spirit of trying to facilitate uh, a smooth and hopefully enlightened, if I can use that word, um, uh, journey for humanity into space. I think it's really important that we help shape that. All right. I, I like the reminder uh, that space is not just a physical place or thing, right? It is an idea. Right. It has emotional content to it. And there's actually um, a mental picture that people will likely have about it. And that can change. That can be different than, right. uh, than what it is. So that's not something that I think people think about. Um, very often. So good stuff there. Uh, let's see, you have commissioned the first private moon payload on the Explore mission for the benefit of Space for Humanity. Let's talk about that. What's the mission? What are you accomplishing there? Yeah. So similar to a project we did 
back in 2017 where we printed the first object in space by a private citizen that was a gravity meter that we printed on the ISS uh, that's in the Museum of um, Nature and Science in Chicago now. Um, the whole idea really is to create dinner table, I call them dinner table conversations about space. And you know what kind of projects can we do that everyday citizens can be inspired by? Um, and so that's what that gravity meter was all about. And with the moon payload, we not only want to sort of create dinner table conversations about that, but actually what we include in the payload, we want that to be significant as well. So we haven't announced what the payload is going to be yet, but it is going to be highly symbolic and I think very unique. And, you know, hopefully, you know, if not front page news, of course, I wouldn't expect that, but something that, you know, the quintessential 10 year old sitting at uh, dinner with their parents, you know, she can say, it's unbelievable. I just read, you know, online or I saw on Facebook or I saw on Instagram, this company is doing this moon mission and the payload is going to be X and isn't that cool and isn't that amazing. So we really just want to help inspire and help keep space top of mind, um, you know, with everyday citizens. And I, I you know, it, it's shocking to me, Jason, I don't know if you appreciate um, you would appreciate this. I'm not sure everyone appreciates the fact that there are people who don't know we have an international space station, hmm. right? Or when you talk about Virgin Galactic and, and the uh, flight that Beth Moses was on, you know, she's on, uh, you know, a media interview in the UK and the announcer says, well, how, how long were you on the moon for? You know, questions like this. I mean, I, I just think we don't, we don't appreciate how little people understand about space and where we are. So, I appreciate people who are always trying to educate and inspire, and I'm just trying to do my small part uh, with some of these uh, projects to help do that. Excellent, excellent. Well, the other mission that we're on, or the other show is called Make Space Boring as well, which is uh, not about making it dull and unimaginative, but getting it so that, uh, again, the user adoption thing is happening where people are using space and, and products made in space and going to jobs to do with space, and it's just normal. So. Yeah, the family is not sitting around talking about what's happening at a Swiss particle accelerator. Uh, they, <laughs> if they can find something that they can grab onto that, that is not dumb, but is visual, you know, for the average person and visceral for them, I think that is a very valuable thing. Well, so it, they get just, an idea. Just on that point, I just, I'll never forget, we did this print ceremony with the gravity meter mm -hmm. in, with a middle school. And the whole idea is you, you know, you, there's a button and you push the button and the print file, you know, the ones and zeros gets transmit, transmitted to the ISS and the ISS prints the object. And just to see the look on these middle schoolers faces when you talk about, you know, that proverbial, it's the Star Trek, you know, uh, episode where, you know, uh, Captain Picard, you know, auto generates an Earl Grey tea, right? And, it just blows their minds and um, it, it, which is another way of saying it inspires them. Right. And you just see the wheels turning about all the possibilities that free frees up. So I just don't think we can underestimate how important that kind of uh, stuff is um, for the industry. All right. Well, let's put our uh, investing hats on again for a moment. And I, I would like to know where the typical 
uh, fundee requester comes to you from? At what stage have they met with a bunch of VCs and gone, well, I don't know, I guess we're not getting anywhere. And I want to remind our audience that what you are offering is a different thing from the VC model. Uh, or is it the first, you know, are, they, are you the first person that they run into? How does that typically turn out? Yeah, we're getting a lot of inbound calls for sure. I, so I would say, um, I, I would say in general, we're getting calls from everybody within all, you know, even pure startups to later stage companies. What we're telling the market and what we tell those companies is we're only uh, focusing on companies that are post revenue, post profit, and post cash flow. Full stop. So if it's a pre revenue company, we're not we're not interested. That's not our model. Even if it's a post-revenue company and they haven't achieved, pro pre achieved profitability, uh, that's not for our model. And then in some cases, you actually have companies that have achieved revenue, achieved profitability, but because they're so capital intensive, they're not generating cash. That's not for us either. So we're very unique in that regard. It's almost like growth capital, uh, which is sort of the term within VC for companies that are looking to scale their businesses. Um, now, that being said, we do get lots of calls from early stage companies as well. And we're trying to be helpful to them, you know, um, help troubleshoot their business plans a bit, help give them guidance, um, you know, help direct them to, to folks that might be appropriate to fund their businesses. Um, not only because we want to be altruistic and, and good, good people in the industry, but also those companies could be successful down the road. And obviously when, once they're successful, we want to have another chance to talk to them as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the short answer is our sweet spot is 10 million to 50 million of revenue, cash flow positive. That's, that's sort of the ideal company for us. Okay. And, and that's really important to uh, manage expectations and not have people receive crushing disappointment if they try and reach out by saying, you know, this is who we best help. Like Starbridge, for example, is not interested yeah. in rocket launch companies. Uh, right. So just knowing that, it's like, all right, we're not going to go there. But uh, yeah. it sounds like you still want to hear from people, um, you know, oh, sure. they, might, they might get to that position. Uh, is there anything about the industry that frustrates you? You know, I, yes, um, I think, and I think Mike um, Mealing said this on one of your episodes, you know, there is some hyperbole, probably too much hyperbole, um, and that frustrates me a bit because I think that uh, reduces the credibility of the industry when people are overhyping. So that'd be one thing. Second thing is, you know, because the industry has become more mature and more successful, people are coming out of the woodwork that are... Uh, you know, people that are less than uh, less than honorable, for lack of a better word, people are looking to make a quick buck. That happens in every industry. Um, so I, I'm a little bit frustrated by that uh, as well. And then I would say thirdly, this is a smaller issue, but we have, you know, 99% of the industry are great people, uh, abundance thinkers uh, looking to help each other. Um, you know, we've got a few players that or not those things, probably the opposite of those things. And I think unfortunately, um, you know, one or two bad apples can do some, some real damage to the industry. So um, that frustrates me a bit because it is such a collegial industry with such great people. Uh, and I think the people are not only good business folks, but good human beings. So I think, you know, just as an industry, we need to continue to uh, call out and, and, uh, you know, 
uh, not do business with people who aren't good people. I think that's a really important thing that we can all do to make sure the industry is on uh, good ground. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. I, I like the, yeah, we're not here to just flip a business and make a buck. I got um, uh, a business broker who messaged me a couple of days ago saying, hey, have you thought about your exit? And I was like, I am not interested in exiting. I am interested in being here for 20 years and building a real asset and having influence in the industry. That's, okay. you know, not my goal at all. So, all right, well, let's finish up with this uh, happy question of what, what do you feel hopeful? What makes you feel the most hopeful about uh, with the space industry, Dylan? Oh, you know, so much. I mean, the industry, and I don't need to tell you, Jason, because you're in it and you're interviewing people regularly, but there's just so many brilliant, um, uh, creative, honorable, uh, kind of kindred spirits in the industry. So I look at that and I think to myself, you know, we can, you know, as audacious as the ambition for the industry is, right, which is to get out there, live and work in space, go back to the moon to stay, go to Mars, go to Venus, you know, you name it. As audacious as that is, I look at the industry and I look at the quality of the people and the quality of the character of the people in the industry. And, and uh, I have no doubt we're going to do it. It's just a matter of when. So I get really, really energized by that. And, um, you know, a lot of intelligence in the industry, a lot of smart people, a lot of creative people, a lot of good humans. So I just, I'm energized by that. And I'm very hopeful that uh, this is the generation that is going to, you know, finally open up the, the frontier. And I know we've been saying that for, uh, humans have been saying that for a long time, but I, I do think it's going to happen. So I'm very hopeful about that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great to hear. I, yes, and I will caution to our younger listeners who are maybe in their 20s, uh, this is not the first time there has been a budding space industry and folks like our uh, engineering uh, advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, will say things to caution me, you know, like, watch out. <laughs> We've been through something like this before, and then 100,000 people get laid off, right? And that's not an exaggeration. So I am I am glad that uh, there is hope for the industry, and, and we're going to keep pumping energy into it, you know. Uh, Dylan, where can people go to connect with you, or should they go to find out more about you and, and Voyager? Yeah, probably the easiest, just my personal webpage, uh, dylantaylor.org. Uh, pretty much everything's on there, including how to contact me and links to all the different things we've talked about. Fantastic. All right. My guest today has been Dylan Taylor, uh, the chairman and CEO of Voyager Space Holdings and uh, philanthropist extraordinaire. <laughs> There's a lot of things you hear that I'm going to link to in the description below. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. This is Jason Canning from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and, and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio only uh, side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists. And so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats. And I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, <laughs> looking for the thing that you want. So I recommend going and checking that out. 
And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.